Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me as always is Joe Healy, and we are here to talk about regionals. The NCAA tournament is upon us as we record this on Thursday. We are less than 24 hours away from the start of the tournament, so hopefully you're listening to this Thursday night or Friday morning, and uh, you're getting ready for a weekend full of college baseball I know we're excited for it here. So we're going to talk all about uh, these these regionals that are coming up this weekend. What else would we be talking about here on the latest edition of the Baseball America College Podcast, which, as always, is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, it's regionals weekend. I know you're excited. I'm excited. Our listeners are excited. This is this is a wonderful, wonderful time of year. And after not having an NCAA tournament a year ago, I, I think everyone is absolutely ready to gorge on tournament baseball this weekend. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think it's important for our listeners. We've, we've said this numerous times throughout the regular season, but I will say it again. If there's mentioning again, take a minute. If you're enjoying the postseason this weekend and moving forward, take a minute to appreciate that we're in this moment and we have this because last year we didn't and it sucked real bad. I mean, I don't have to tell you that if you're listening to this podcast, but so just, just take a minute and appreciate it because we learned what it was like without it. And that was not a whole lot of fun. So it's, it's real easy to get super wrapped up in the forest and, and you miss the trees um, or whatever that metaphor is. Um, but so take a minute to kind of take it all in this weekend because um, you know, it's, it's, it's cool to have it back in our lives. And this week is so much fun. Even, even before the game start, I, I find this week to be pretty fun because you, you've got the field in front of you. So you can really kind of take deep dives. And as we preview it, we, we learn a lot about teams that frankly, in some cases we haven't spent a lot of time thinking about, and that's kind of always a fun exercise for me. And, um, you know, you, you, you kind of, I know personally, one of my favorite joys of, of the week leading up to regionals is that college baseball gets covered uh, better than it does like on a local level for most of the year. So there are some media markets that are good about covering their team locally, but everyone comes out of the woodwork regional week if, if the local team has made it. So it's kind of fun to read some of that stuff because, you know, it's, it's local journalism about teams that don't normally get covered that way. So um, it's, it's kind of a fun week even before the games. And then of course, you know, tomorrow all hell breaks loose in a, in a good and bad way in terms of everything that's going to come at us. Yeah, that's, uh, that's absolutely true. I, before we dive into some of this analysis, Joe, you have probably the most experience, well, definitely between the two of us, you do, uh, of watching, like just sitting on the couch, 
or in your office in your previous life, I don't want to blow your spot, uh, sitting sit somewhere and, and watching as much action as you can. So can you just like give anyone, like, like what are your tips for watching baseball this weekend? Are you sticking with ESPNs? I guess they're now calling it squeeze play. Previously it was called bases loaded. Uh, we'll have to do some serious reporting to get to the bottom of why the branding on that changed. Uh, or are you, are you trying to lock in on specific regionals, flipping around yourself? Like what are, what are your strategies for this weekend? That's a great question. Thank you. Thank you for asking. And, um, you know, I definitely with 100% certainty did not, when I worked a day job in an office, I did not block out my entire afternoon and pretend like I had meetings so that I could, um, watch baseball games on my phone. Now I also did, you know, I can multitask. Like I definitely did work those days, but you know, I had my headphones in and, and whatnot, but I, but I definitely uh, declined meetings. I'll put it that way. Declined meetings. I could have been in, in those situations um, to make sure I was, I was paying attention. So my first piece of advice, and you mentioned squeeze play, which I, uh, I I'm not a fan of that change in branding, maybe because I just don't like change in that way. But um, I, you know, I don't know. I feel like bases loaded connotes, more excitement than squeeze play maybe not well, though, so the thing about bases loaded is that you have the like if the bases are loaded bases loaded is going to go to that game right squeeze play is a thing that happens it surprises everyone right they're not going to you're not going to see a squeeze play live on squeeze play you'll that's see true. bases loaded live on bases loaded yeah that's a fair point that's a fair point yeah we need we really do need to get to the bottom of this my goodness what a complete uh complete failure on the part of <laughs> anyway um, so actually my first piece of advice about squeeze play is use squeeze play smart throughout the weekend. I've made the mistake before. I used to add this little ritual back in uh, like 2013, 14, where me and a, a buddy of mine who is into college baseball, this is back when I was living in Houston, we would hang out at his place for the weekend basically. And we'd order in food a couple of times a week. Um, you know, we would also kind of force ourselves to get out and like go for a run or do something like active in the mornings before the game started so that we didn't feel like complete slobs. But, um, you know, we would order food in and we would just kind of watch the, the games all day. And, you know, those years I actually took off Fridays to, to do that. But I've made the mistake before of putting what we didn't call bases loaded or squeeze play now on too long. And you start to just kind of it feels like you're watching highlight shows especially when it gets really dense in the middle of the day and there's a whole bunch of games going on because they're flipping through the moments so quickly that it does feel like all you've really seen is highlights and then you start to lose the thread of the whole game. So I would say use it sparingly. If the game you're watching, if you're the game you're really focused on ends, flip over to squeeze play for like 15 minutes just kind of to try to get you back on track with where everything stands because that's what that show does a really good job of is kind of getting you caught up to where things stand. So finish your game, flip over to that, get your bearings for 15 minutes, use squeeze play to decide what game you want to move on to next. But that's kind of my next piece of advice is map out each day and kind of decide what games are important to you and prioritize those and prioritize watching those games on your main screen. You know, your second screen, you can put squeeze play or, or a different game, but try to figure out what game you want on your main screen. And if the game is 11, nothing in the fourth inning, okay, pivot, like be willing to be flexible but I found that I feel a lot more fulfilled in my game watching days if I prioritize the handful of games that I really want to see and then pivot if need be, as opposed to kind of going into it cold and saying like, well, let's just see how things play out and I'll flip around. Because what happens is you flip around so much that you kind of lose the thread of each individual games. And I feel like sometimes 
if you're trying to watch everything, you're really watching nothing. And I've definitely made that mistake before by trying to eat the entire elephant at one time, as opposed to eating the elephant piece by piece. That's my, really my biggest piece of advice. The other one is um, hydrate and eat some oh, nutritious food. right now. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, eating an elephant, not a tough skin on those things. That would be <laughs> tough to eat an elephant, but uh, make sure you're also hydrating, make sure you're eating, you know, eating uh, relatively right. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, don't indulge a little bit. I mean, this is a fun weekend of college baseball, do wings, do pizza, do burgers, do whatever you want to do, but you know, make sure you're also treating yourself right. Cause you're not going to feel good after an entire weekend if you're not doing at least some of that, but um, you know, so p- pace yourself a little bit, but my biggest thing is be smart about the games you want to watch, prioritize those. Don't feel like you have to, you know, watch, you know, keep every game, every single game that's going on, on some sort of screen and keep up with it because that's just not a realistic expectation. Yeah. I, uh, I'm one of those people that like really only can focus on one game at a time anyway. Like if I put multiple screens up, it's uh, like, I'm, I'm probably not watching. Cause I'm also like trying to like do six other things. I guess it's the, the problem. If you're, you're not trying to write while you're watching these games, it becomes easier. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm not in a great position to provide any advice in, in terms of that. So I will, I will defer to everything Joe just said. Um, but yeah, like, uh, just enjoy this weekend because it's, uh, comes around, but once a year. And as we learned last year, not even every year. So, uh, hopefully we can all enjoy the, uh, the, the baseball we're, we're going to get here, get to analysis of these regionals here in a second. Um, first though, I just want to mention that if you go over to baseballamerica.com, we have previews of all 16 regionals. Uh, they're pretty, I think they're pretty bite-sized in, in a lot of ways. Like there's, there's a good bite about each team in there. So if you want to, you want to get caught up on all of these regionals, I, I think you still have enough time to read through them. They don't take too terribly long to get through. Um, and you certainly can continue to check back at them throughout the weekend as you decide like, Oh, I'm going to put on a Miami game. Well, okay. Like what, a, what do I need to know about Miami? Like, hopefully we've got that covered for you over at baseballamerica.com and we'll have plenty more analysis throughout the weekend. Um, you know, Joe has done a really good job in years past, uh, providing some running commentary that we'll, we'll have again this year and some deeper dives as well as, uh, as the weekend goes on. So, uh, just because we're going to turn off the podcast here at, at the end of the podcast and not come back to you until next week when, everything's been decided doesn't mean that uh, you can't get some good, good analysis over on the website or on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill, Joe's at Joe Healy BA uh, between now and then. So uh, I would encourage again, you to check all of that, all of that out and go back throughout the weekend. Uh, Okay, Joe, we're going to get to some of this regional analysis here in a second, but first check this out. Okay, Joe, I don't like going through regional by regional. There's 16 of them. It gets tedious. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit more big picture stuff. And since we talked about the TV strategy, just your overall TV strategy, let, let's, talk, let's talk some more TV strategy here. What regional has you most interested in? What, what regional do you think you're going to be focused on most often this weekend. 
I think I've gone back and forth on this a little bit. I think I've landed on Tucson, though. Uh, part of that is because the window makes it easy to watch because those games are going to be on later. There's less competition for what's on at that time. But I'm pretty fascinated by this regional. I still like Arizona there. But what I will say, and as I was previewing this regional, it kind of dawned on me is there's a lot of familiarity within this regional. You know, Oklahoma State's very comfortable playing in Arizona. They go there every year, whether it's in a tournament or, oh, by the way, the last two years they played a series against Grand Canyon, the fourth seed in this regional, and Grand Canyon won the series in 2020. So there's a lot of familiarity there. Oklahoma State's also playing pretty well right now. Um, UC Santa Barbara, a little bit of an up and down regular season as we've chronicled here at, at different times, but that's a team that's really packed with talent and it would not be a surprise if they do kind of put it all together. And, and Grand Canyon's a tough four and not just because they're familiar with Arizona and Oklahoma state. It's also a, a team that's, that's pretty doggone talented and, and, you know, did a really nice job in the WAC this year. So I'm pretty fascinated by that one because I think it's one of the few regionals that, you know, if you told me if, if for some reason I was not able to watch the games this weekend and boy, what a tragedy that would be. Um, and on Tuesday, you told me that any of the four teams out in this regional won it. I'd be surprised if it was Grand Canyon. But other than that, like, I would not be shocked. It, it's one of the few regionals I truly feel like that out of all the 16 that we have. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an intriguing one. I like that, you know, the, the familiarity you're talking about is uh, is important. I like that there's a good four out there. Grand Canyon has uh, some real pitching. I'll be interested to see how their hitters fare against you know, an Arizona or Oklahoma State or, or a Santa Barbara. I don't think they face the kinds of pitching that's going to get thrown at them all that often. Although, again, to your point, they they definitely schedule difficult in non-conference play. Uh, so it's got a lot of elements going for it. And then on top of that, I'm very interested in the, the, the contrast and styles there. UCSB and Grand Canyon, very much pitching oriented, Oklahoma State and Arizona, more offensive oriented. So is this going to be a really offensive weekend and those two teams can't keep up or are the arms going to be a little bit better than than anticipated? And I, so from a, a stylistic standpoint, I think that's a, an interesting regional as well. Yeah, it's definitely... There's definitely that aspect as, as well to that. I the other, the other one that stands out to me a little bit just quickly is Columbia. Anytime you're talking Virginia as a three, you've got my attention. Also, there's just the 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 wild card thrown in the mix of a, a traveling one with a hosting two. And, and I'm fascinated to kind of see how that plays out. Does this play out as, you know, where it looks like South Carolina is the one seed here? Because so do they get the, is the hosting advantage or is the one seed advantage greater? It's been a long time since we've really been able to kind of test those theories here. And the last time that we tested it was 2010 when Florida State went to Norwich, Connecticut and UConn hosted. And so like that's not even a good test because UConn wasn't hosting on campus. And, you know, also to be totally frank, like just the level of, or the, the, the difference in crowd size between what UConn would get, even if they had been hosting on campus and what South Carolina is going to draw. Like if there, if that's a one versus two on Saturday night in Founders Park, like I don't care. There's going to be basically no advantage for, for old dominion. And uh, so that's a little unfortunate, but you know, also it is what it is this year. And with ODU not bidding, it's becomes harder to feel sorry for them for it. But uh, it, it's just a little different when you're talking about a team going 
as far away as uh, as they did at you know at Florida State, traveling all the way up to to Connecticut, but going to a place that isn't the team's home park, uh, versus you know ODU traveling relatively close so their own fans can go, but going into a place that regularly draws six thousand very raucous uh, South Carolina fans. So yeah, I'm I'm very much there. There is a uh, the, the, the just the strange factor the 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 oddity i guess is uh is something that that is is very intriguing there in, in columbia yeah i mean you, you bring up a good point i mean the one seed advantage for odu really basically disappears if south carolina advances to the winner's bracket game because I mean, like point, they do get to play the four so like you, right. you got that going for you, but like right. after that, it's 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 just about done. Especially because they trade back who is the home team and who's the road team based on who's been home and who's been road. And, and like Old Dominion's pitching staff is not such that like they have an obvious ace that they can save. You know, like their, their pitching staff is more like we well we've got three or four guys who are all kind of on relatively equal footing. So and they know the, the personnel better than I do, obviously. But it's not this is not East Carolina has Gavin Williams and then like after that who's the next best guy like this is a very flat pitching staff in terms of the talent spread out. So like that, that is intriguing too. Cause it's not even like ODU, like they'll go in against the four and, you know, again, maybe they know who their, their second or third best guy is, but it's hard for me to tell necessarily. And that's, that cuts both ways, but it, it, it doesn't mean that they necessarily have a lot of like, you know, bullets to keep for the, for the winner's bracket game necessarily. So for me, I'm, uh, I'm very interested in Oxford. Because I, I, I think that there you again have this interesting contrast of styles. You have Ole Miss super offensive team and, uh, you know, I mean, not downplaying Ole Miss's pitching, but like they have one of the best offenses in the country. And then they're, they've got Southern Miss and Florida State also in that regional. And they're two of the better pitching teams in the country. You no, know, by the way, Ole Miss has to play a four seed in Southeast Missouri state with a real ACE uh, there to, to, to front the Red Hawks rotation. And, and, you know, they gave Arkansas, they could handle on in game one of their series back in February. So I'm, uh, I'm very interested to, to see that. And then also there is just the history of Ole Miss and home regionals and um, all, all of, all of that coming to bear. But I, I just find that one to be very interesting. And, if you assume that Ole Miss wins, then you're probably looking at Doug Nikhazy on Saturday night versus either one of the Southern Miss, like really good pitchers, Walker Powell or Hunter Stanley, whatever way they decide to line that up, or, uh, you know, facing a, a high end Florida State pitcher. So I, I think, uh, I think Oxford uh, definitely stands out for me. That's a good one for sure. It's also one where, you know, Oxford, it, it, Ole Miss fans are going to pack that thing out. But yeah, Southern Miss fans are pretty vocal. This is not a two seed coming from across the country. Like they're they're going to be a pretty decent number of USM folks there too that are going to make that place. So I think that's going to be a, a great atmosphere if that comes to to pass on on um, on Saturday night. And you know, Florida State is probably a team that, frankly, I thought you know, and I don't I don't crunch the numbers on the resumes to the extent that you do, but. I just kind of assumed they were going to be a two and they kind of don't know what they're doing on the three line have, have no honest clue. Yeah. Like it's hard to imagine a stride and I've not done this full accounting, but like, I guess Virginia is in the discussion, but like, 
Florida State probably has to be ahead of Virginia in terms of being a better three seed. You know, yeah, so they that's, had a better ACC record. I mean, you can argue about talent and whatever, but resume wise, it's definitely better. Yeah, so that that one's definitely a um, that that's an intriguing one as well. I'm sure I'll be spending plenty of time with that. The the other one that I would highlight is uh, South Bend, and so obviously, I mean, I think the Oma Irish are coming out of there. They're the Oma Irish after all. But I mean, you're looking at. Michigan stepping out of Big Ten play for the first time. And frankly, I'm interested in all three Big Ten, the regionals that that have Big Ten teams because, okay, what does Nebraska look like outside of of Big Ten play? And what does Maryland look like outside of Big Ten play? Well, we get to see it here with Michigan. Uh, UConn, we saw challenge itself early in the season, and it did not go well particularly. But I mean, that was that was months ago. They're a different team now. Like, so are they ready to uh, to take a step up from what they've been seeing in the Big East? Not that the Big East has been terrible this year by by any stretch, but uh, playing Michigan, playing Notre Dame, uh, even playing Central Michigan, that's uh, probably a higher level of competition than they've been facing week in and out in the Big East. And then Central Michigan is one of, if not the best four seed. And they have a real one and a real two in the, the pitching staff, a, a ton of experience guys that like half of the lineup that played in the 2019 Starkville regional is back. Uh, so I, I, I find all of that to, to be very interesting. And it's just been a long time since we've seen Frank X stadium hosting a regional. So I think that's going to be cool from, uh, from Notre Dame's perspective as well. Yeah, no doubt. There's, there's, there is the factor of, you know, what does Notre Dame look like in this setting? We just haven't seen it. Certainly not with this group of players and, there, so there is that as well. Um, you know, I, I think with, with, with Notre Dame, I think the thing to watch there is, you know, they just, it's such a different setting. They, they clearly had gotten down pat winning the three game series, right? Like they, they'd figured out just how to set up their pitching and what they needed to do. And it, it was like kind of like a formula they had figured out and, and regionals kind of throw that into disarray unless you can just go three and zero and get out of there. So it seems kind of important. So I'll just be interested to see how they, how they handle that and frankly, how they handle if they kind of get punched in the mouth a little bit. Cause we just, we still really haven't seen that happen. And I'm kind of fascinated to see how they would respond. Yeah. I don't think any of those teams is particularly well set up for four. Uh, so that would make it very interesting if, you know, whoever, like if, if they are able to push Notre Dame into the loser's bracket at some point, how every team responds to that, you know, I look at it, you know, Michigan struggled in their four game, weekends um and, and they weren't even that great necessarily with the like there there's a clear separation between Hadger, Weston and then the rest of the pitching staff there at Michigan and you know Central Michigan has a great one and two the rest of the pitching staff is still pretty good but like again are they good enough to go play these these major conference opponents uh later in the weekend I don't know so yeah I'm I find that one to be interesting uh, for, for a number of reasons. And, and you're right. If, if Notre Dame does find itself getting punched in the mouth, like that's going to be a new experience and we're going to, we're going to find out something new uh, just based on that. All right. Uh, so having looked at, at, at some of these, Joe, let's, uh, let's talk hosts most likely to get upset in some respects, I suppose that, all of the regionals we just talked about could be construed as places where we think that upsets could happen. Maybe that's why we're interested in them. Uh, but what, who do you think deserves to be on upset alert going into this weekend? So I will take 
South Carolina in, in Columbia out of the mix because they're hosting the yeah, that, two. So that's kind of I, I, Yeah, there. so this year we have to say number one seeds that are most likely yeah. to get upset. And no, also, I mean, let's eliminate ODU from this discussion too because I think it's clear why ODU might get upset. Right, right. And so I also won't give the answer of like, it's pretty easy answer to be like, well, Louisiana Tech because NC State, like I very well might pick NC State to win that regional with the way they're playing right now, right? So like, I won't, won't even quite go that direction. I'm actually looking... A couple. One is one you mentioned, so we won't spend a lot of time on it. One was Oxford, and that's because I, I, both the, both USM and Florida State, I think, can give Ole Miss some problems with their pitching. Can at least slow down that offense. And when you combine that with, you know, sometimes Ole Miss is a little bit shaky once you get past Nikhazy, and they're saving Nikhazy for a winners bracket potential winners bracket matchup on Saturday night. So what do they get on the mound past that? And oh, by the way, like, you know, they. They have gotten it done offensively. We've kind of marveled at how well they've gotten it done offensively. But, you know, uh, could they get got by those pitching staffs? Yeah, I, I could certainly see that. So I think that one's tough because I think they're going to catch heavy fire by at least two of those teams, right? Like they've got a tough two and a, two, a tough three. Like both of those teams very easily could win this regional if things break right. So that always makes it tough. The other one I'll throw at you is a little bit different. I actually think there's only one other team in this regional could win the regional, but I think that team is – is so good that it's, I think it's completely plausible. And that's Stanford with UC Irvine as the two. Like, I think that's one that I'm looking at. I think I'm actually comfortable picking UC Irvine in that regional because I think they really are set up to, they can win offensive games. They have the pitching depth. They have four legit starting pitchers. So if they get pushed beyond just the three games, like they're probably okay with the guys they have. Few teams can say that, including Stanford, by the way. I also think the other complicating factor there is, you know, if, if, some point Stanford ends up up against Nevada, Nevada's offense is good enough. Like you really can't take that game off. So I don't think Nevada has a chance to win this regional necessarily, but if you end up in the loser's bracket with a team like Nevada, you can't really just coast in and save your guys to try to win that game. Cause they will, they will bury you under a pile of runs. So again, I think it's only one other team in that regional that could win it with UC Irvine, but I think that team is so good that I think it automatically kind of puts Stanford on upset alert there. Hard agree on the eaters. Like I, I have already like started to make my picks, which you can also read over at baseballamerica.com. And like, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to pick Irvine to win that regional. No disrespect to Stanford, which is really good and has lost like what one series all season long or whatever. And two, maybe, I don't know. It's either one or two and also won a series against Irvine, but a couple months ago now, that said, though, you know, Irvine, like everything you said about Irvine is right. I mean, like they have experienced starters. They have really good starters. They have a lot of offense. They have good bullpen. Like, I think they have everything you need to win a regional. And that's not to say that Stanford doesn't because they clearly do. But I, I, I just I don't know. I, I, I like the idea of Irvine going up and, and grabbing, grabbing that regional there. Um, so we'll. We'll see what comes of, of that one. But I, I would definitely agree there. Oxford, I wrote that preview and I came away from it thinking that like, yeah, okay, like trendy, you'll probably see some some people saying that Ole Miss is going to lose this regional. I just don't see it happening. I, I don't think that the teams they're matched up with are, are going to be able to do it. Uh, USM stands out for their pitching. It's like a top 20 by Team ERA pitching staff in the country. Uh, great one, great two, and Hunter Stanley and Walker Powell. But the thing about 
Ole Miss is they just haven't really done it again. Like if you look at all of their, the, the season that they've had, it's just, it's not as, it's not as good against the, the high end competition. Um, they, they point it up here. Where is it? They're uh, seven and 12 against NCAA tournament teams. That includes going four and seven against La Tech, which is a pretty offensive team itself. And, you know, we're talking about an Ole Miss offense that I think is one of the best in the country. So is Southern Miss going to be ready for the prime time on the road to go out and beat, you know, have their pitching staff slow down this Ole Miss offense? Like I'm not, I'm not seeing it. And, you know, it also, like, are they going to, are they going to keep up from a, uh, from an offensive standpoint? Like, I don't know. Um, They have a shot, but this is a, this is a really tough matchup, I think, for Southern Miss. Uh, I'm sure their fans disagree and they're loving that they're here and not in Starkville, but I, I actually think going to Starkville would have been better for them. Uh, Hot take. And then Florida State definitely has what it takes to win this regional. Again, one of it's the best pitching staff in the ACC, one of the best in the country. Uh, great one, two, three in the rotation, veteran, experienced bullpen. Love all of that for them. Their offense, though, is uh, has some high power to it, but it also is pretty pitchable, frankly. It's, uh, it's a very, very uh, mixed bag about what you're going to get offensively. So if Florida State shows up and has their best bats with them, uh, they become dangerous. But I, I just don't know that that's going to show up. Like, I, I trust the Ole Miss pitching staff more than that, especially because, again, if Florida State is going to win this regional, they're, they're probably going to be facing Ole Miss on, on Saturday night, and I don't think they're beating the Casey. I don't think anyone's beating Nikhazy is, is also part of this is that they, they don't need to throw Nikhazy against SEMO. Like again, SEMO has a good ace in Dylan Dodd, but if Ole Miss can't beat him without throwing Nikhazy, like, sorry, you're just not winning this regional anyway. So got to hold Nikhazy. And then I, I, I don't see Nikhazy losing on Saturday night. And then I trust the Ole Miss bats to get them through on, uh, on Sunday night or on Monday. Yeah, that's one where um, I'm with you on all that, that. That's all fair. Like, I think that that's all absolutely fair. The uh, with Simo, like, I'm warning Ole Miss fans now. Like, you know, I, I trust your offense to come around on Dylan Dodd, but like, things might be hairy for four or five innings. So just take a deep breath. It know. took Arkansas ten innings. Okay, right. <laughs> take a deep breath. The dude is good. He's gonna be a pro. You know, he throws real hard. Like, you know, it's not anything you haven't seen playing in the SEC clearly, but the dude's good so like you know have some patience if your offense doesn't look awesome for four or five at least four or five innings if it gets to the six and you're still struggling then you have my permission to panic or whatever you want to do but that's definitely one where you know you you might have to be prepared that your offense is is maybe not going to look awesome right out the gate against a pitcher that good who, who you just haven't necessarily heard about so there there is that now um, you know, maybe not, you know, you never know. Sometimes these four seed aces come in and there's, you know, you get a lot of buzz about it. And sometimes it's just not their, not their best day. That's always, almost, as my um, weather is bad here in Durham. You probably just heard my, uh, my alert there telling me about a flash flood warning. My apologies to the listeners for that. Um, 
yeah, hopefully we get all we, we get good weather this week. And that would be <laughs> one thing about regional weekend that's terrible is just you know there are rain delays coming and uh trying to avoid them is uh is is big for for this weekend. Um, you know, we mentioned Arizona as, as a regional that, that you were gonna be watching, Joe. I would say that they are probably on upset alert for all of the reasons we we illustrated there prior. And then the other one worth mentioning here is Florida. And I bring up the Gators because they, of course, lost a home series already to Miami this year. And that is the two seed in Gainesville. I don't think it's happening again. Um, That was three months ago. Neither of these teams is the same at all. You want to look at a roller coaster season. Let me invite you to go look at the Canes who started off with uh, with the amazing high of winning a series against Florida for the first time since 2014, um, eventually reached a low of getting swept at home by Florida State, and then another low of losing a series at Boston College, and then got it together over the final month of the season, played pretty well, um, you know, got up to 20 ACC wins, and then went 0-2 in the ACC tournament. So, I have literally no idea what to expect from the Canes this weekend, but I know it's in there to beat Florida. Florida's not, Florida's far from infallible. Uh, but I just don't, I, I just don't have a whole lot of trust in the Canes right now that they're going to be able to go into Gainesville and, and pull off the win. But I, it, it's a, it's a tricky draw, uh, you know, given, given what they have there in Gainesville. Yeah, I mean, one of the, the other things about that regional is that I don't I don't think South Alabama has the offense to win that regional. They outside of Ethan Wilson and, and Michael Sandel, I'll give him a little bit of a shout out too. The offense is just not very good, but they do field 979 as a team and they pitch it pretty well. So South Al is the type of team that, you know, if you end up facing off against them at some point, like you're you're going to have to beat them. They're not going to gift the games to you. And sometimes the threes and fours, when you get to that, like let's say Sunday elimination game, they're just tired and they're pitching is taxed and and they, they're frustrated or whatever it is. And, and they'll, they'll, sometimes they'll gift you a game. They'll play a sloppy game. I don't think South Al is that team. So they're, they're going to make you earn it all the way through the weekend. And again, while I don't think they're a huge threat because their lack of offense to win the regional, they, they certainly are a frustrating team to play because they just aren't, they aren't going to give you anything. Yeah. I'll be interested to see how Florida lines this up too, because um, Tommy Mace has historically pitched excellently against Miami but he hasn't necessarily been Florida's best pitcher this year. Like that's definitely been Hunter Barco. So do you like roll the dice and throw Mace on Saturday, hoping you get Miami a team that he's fared really well against, or do you just hold Barco for that game? It's not like, it's not even holding him. That's his normal rotation spot. Um, Knowing that he's your best arm. I mean, you probably just do that. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I might be a little tempted to, to look at Mace's career numbers against Miami and think, what about, what about doing that? But uh, just a little something to watch there. And then, uh, Joe, I don't know. For some reason, I always just kind of wonder about ECU. And then this year, the way they played down the stretch, I think it's a little more fair to kind of wonder about ECU. Um, more fair than it's been. In, in previous years when I've wondered about ECU. I don't know that I think that Charlotte or Maryland can win this though. I, like, I just don't know what to expect from Maryland coming out of this. They have good pitching, but I don't think it's going to be enough to match up against ECU. 
I'm kind of with you. Um, I, I kind of went into the week before the bracket came out wondering like, mm, you know, depending on who goes to Greenville, like I could, I could certainly see that. And I think part of the reason we were we, expecting Duke or NC state for sure. Yeah. And if NC state was not regional, like, Oh boy, you know, um, or even Duke with the way they're playing. Um, I, you know, I took another good long look at Duke today previewing the Knoxville regional and I came away thinking like, Oh boy, that, you know, it, we talked about earlier in the week, but it's not just that Duke is like playing over its head now. It's also that it's like guys have figured some stuff out. Like there's some guys who number who's, Numbers look completely different from when I saw Duke earlier this season, like six weeks ago. So anyway, that difference. So I don't think anybody else is winning that Knoxville regional, but that's, um, you know, I think Duke's got a chance to play well there, but yeah, East Carolina getting Charlotte and Maryland, um, I think is a pretty favorable draw for them. Charlotte feels like a team that has done a really nice job to have this type of season um, that maybe is just a little bit out of gas. Um, the injuries have, have been an issue that the pitching has backslid a little bit. It's a team that has an ERA over six in conference play. Like I just, I don't necessarily see it. And then in Maryland, you're right. It's kind of all up in the air. They could pitch their way through it, but what are you going to get offensively? We talked about earlier this season, some of their guys we thought they'd be leaning on just haven't had the type of years they were looking to have. So I, I have a lot of questions about that. So I, I'm not entirely sure that the draw that ECU got is, is going to be conducive for them being upset. So that brings us, Joe, to a broader point that I, uh, I've seen as I've kind of looked through the bracket. I think this is going to be pretty chalky. I don't, I don't know how many upsets we're looking at here. I know we just highlighted a few different teams that like might get upset, but I also like, we, we also pushed back on the idea of several teams that you might kind of ordinarily look to and say, well, like they came in a little shaky or like they're clearly a little bit short on the mound. Maybe they they should be getting upset, but the matchups, they just got good matchups, whether in uh in ecu's case like we're talking about like well you know charlotte's banged up and they're not the team that they were even a month ago or in in old miss's case where it's like well okay but who are you going to who are you going to throw up against you know nikhazy and then once once that happens like are, are you guys actually going to be able to stop this old miss offense like or i i can point to texas tech not that tech really feels like they're that gettable i mean it's lubbock you good luck getting tech in Lubbock, but you know, okay. Like UCLA and UNC are just terrible. Like it, it's just a really bad matchup for them to have to go to Lubbock. Um, you know, UCLA is maybe a little less pitching oriented than we had realized, but like, are you going to win a slugfest against tech? And then, you know, UNC love Austin love, like he's been phenomenal and but you get past him and their rotation just is not held together well at all. Uh, so if UCLA has to deal with love and then, you know, loses, uh, UNC doesn't have, like they're going to be scrambling a little bit already uh, to, to find the right pitcher to, to slow down the tech offense. And, you know, again, even if UCLA wins it, like I, they, they just don't, I don't think they have the, the guns to go guns up with, uh, with Texas tech. So I, the more I look at this, Joe, I, the more I just think a lot of these number one seeds are going to be moving on this weekend. I'm with you. And you bring up a good point that some of the the, the hosts or, or one seeds, we should say, um, that feel vulnerable got favorable draws. Like I, I, I could have been talked into it's it's always tough winning in Starkville, but it's not like Mississippi State has given us like a ton of reason for confidence lately. But, you know, they drew VCU as a two and Campbell as a three. 
you know, um, that's an I example. Mean, of- you mentioned La Tech as like, oh, well, look at NC State coming in here and they're playing so well. And like, yeah, okay, that's true. And NC State does play well on the road, but A, it's hard winning in the Love Shack. B, NC State hasn't won a regional since 2013. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So, you're, I mean, you're right. As I look around, it feels like a year where there are some tough twos. NC State's one of them. Nebraska's one of them, you know. Um, but it does feel like a year where there's a, a pretty good number of soft twos, you know, some Charmin soft twos out there. You, you know, um, of course, there are examples that I gave that plus, you know, UC Irvine we talked about of tougher twos. But it does feel like there's a decent number of soft twos around the country. And, and maybe maybe it's not more so than normal. I don't you know, this could be just the recency of seeing these teams and, and not being convinced of them, but it, it does feel like a year where the two line is not necessarily the strongest two line that I can recall, but maybe I'm wrong about that. No, I would agree with that. I mean, you're looking at VCU as a two, UConn as a two. Those are two teams that we talked about on a weekly basis for a while for the top 25 and never pulled the trigger on them. Like VCU's playing as well as anyone in the country better potentially, if you want to look at it that way, they have a 21 game winning streak. Uh, But like, who have they really played this year? Like they have some nice ACC midweek wins, but on the weekends, like we, I genuinely don't know. I like uh, uh, if they beat Campbell and play Mississippi state on Saturday night, I will be fascinated to see what that looks like. Cause I have no earthly idea uh, what, what that's going to look like for VCU. Uh, you know, UConn, I, I talked about, like, did really, really well in the Big East, did not so well earlier in the season when they were running around playing Virginia and Texas Tech and Southern Miss. And, um, you know, I, they, they kind of grown as, as a team since then, especially as a Northern team. But, you know, what's that going to look like? Um, you know, Arizona State is on the two line. I thought they were going to drop to the three line. Miami, I talked about how up and down it's been. I don't know what Oregon State's doing on the two line. Oh, I do know it's their RPI, but like they they shouldn't be there, I don't think, over a Florida State. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of twos right now that I just look at them like, really? I don't know. And, you know, I there, there is a chance here that, you know, some of the experienced upstart teams or or mid-major teams or whatever that they win and win big like that's always been a thing that's been talked about all year about how like oh well maybe this will be a special year for them it hasn't really materialized yet except for in conference usa like we have not had a spate of really good mid-major teams around the country so i don't really know why it would materialize this weekend but I, i i suppose i wouldn't be stunned if it did, I just don't know where that's coming from. Yeah, it does feel like maybe it's the type of year where I, I have definitely noticed this trend in past years where we don't get a lot of upset regional winners, but we have a lot of random regional finalists, you know, because um, there are a lot of regionals where it's like, I don't know, I might like this four as much as I like this two, you know, um, and that's where, and not to relitigate Monday's conversation, but this is where the, the over-reliance on the RPI can sometimes create wonky brackets. As you mentioned, the RPI picks, and that's what a lot of these two seeds are, frankly, you know, um, 
and that's fine. Like that's the yeah. Way I mean, UConn, VCU, Oregon State, like all of them, like a little suspect is like honestly being twos, but they all have certain metrics that indicate that they are absolutely twos. Yeah, and that's just the way the committee does it. And like again, I you know, it always sounds like I'm being like really railing on the committee for that, and I think I'm past that. I, I definitely did that five years ago about like why are you using RP, but like I'm just so far past that. Just understanding that's just the way they do it. You know, that's the reality of the situation. But I think that's the result of that we have the kind of softer twos is we've got twos based on that, that one metric really. Um, and not necessarily very much beyond that. And so you get softer twos. Now, sometimes that also gives you the stronger threes and we do have some stronger threes. So maybe it's a matter of like, well, maybe the two should be three here. And if you look at it that way, maybe it's, I don't know, like th- that's debatable, but um, you know, maybe it makes for a more interesting, more interesting elimination games along the way, who knows, but I'm with you that I, I, as I'm filling out my predictions as well, you know, you and I are both kind of poking away at that today. Like I, I'm having a lot of trouble finding a lot of upset situations. And I feel like I'm almost in a position where I'm forcing myself to be creative about it, which means I'm probably not going to be very good at predicting the right ones if I'm trying to force it. Yeah. I, uh, I definitely have been in, in that boat and, you know, that doesn't mean that Omaha is going to be chalked, like, cause you could get into super regionals and things could get a little screwy there, but I, I, I just don't see it this weekend. I, you know, some of the, some of the fours that you might think like, Oh, okay. Like Samford really good four. like, I, I think that's a really good four. but like, are they really going into duty noble and winning a, winning a regional, like, really? I don't know about that. And, you know, right state great four potentially, although also one and seven against, you know, in non-conference competition, but like playing really well, uh, and last year went to Tennessee and, and won a series. But are, are they going to do that this year? Are they going to beat Duke and Liberty and Tennessee? Like, I don't really see it happening. Um, you know, so, yeah, I, I just without without some of those day one upsets, I don't I just don't know where where some of the the the, the non chalkiness is going to come from. And even if it does happen, you know, I, I don't know that we're seeing a Cinderella in this i mean there probably will be one somewhere there just usually is but like you know let's say arizona loses and we talked about why that might happen but like that just opens the door for oklahoma state or, or santa barbara most likely uh you know maybe it opens the door for grand canyon but like yeah i mean like if if ucsb was in omaha five years ago like they were cinderellas then them winning a regional now would not be a cinderella story and it sure wouldn't be true if it was oklahoma state and the beauty of it, though, I would I would say is, to your point, the beauty of it is, statistically speaking, we are going to have something really wonky in one of these regionals this week. And that's kind of the beauty of it. You play 16 of these things, and you're bound to have one that goes haywire. So that's kind of the great thing is there have been some years a regional weekend goes by, and you're kind of like, okay, well, I mean, things kind of played to form, but it, it never goes all to form, you know, so um I suspect you and I will be talking about something we that was way outside of what we consider the realm of possibility today. We will be talking about something like that next week on the podcast, I'm sure. It, it, it's absolutely true. And it's really easy for me to sit here on Wednesday or Thursday and say, well, this number one seeds, number one, that is going to get held for Saturday night is going to go out and pitch really well. And then he like goes out and has an ordinary game or a subpar game, even like, you know, that we, we just can't know what's going to happen until they get out there under the lights on the big stage in, in the pressure. Um, you know, some of them have pitched in big time pressure before, but a lot of them, 
again, because there was no tournament last year, like it, it's, it's just been a little bit different. So uh, that, that is one factor that we can't really account for in any sort of very meaningful way right now. All right, Joe, um, final thoughts about opening weekend or, or, or after, as we go into opening weekend, let's just get a, a quick, uh, quick take on, on where you are for a national champion. Uh, I'll just say I'm, I'm still, a, I'm believing in Arkansas. Are you, are you still believing in Arkansas as the, the national championship favorite as well? Yeah. I mean, how could, how could I not, you know, that that's, that's my pick. And I think you, you'd really have to kind of contort yourself and kind of manufacture reasons to come up with, with someone else. And so that's really boring, but like, I just don't know what else we'd need to see from this Arkansas team and also need to see from the other contenders in terms of the shortcomings there to pick someone else. I think it's, it's Arkansas in the field right now. Um, if you offered me Arkansas in the field, like normally the smart money is always in the field and, Given the way this season has played out, I'm not so sure that that's necessarily where the smart money is going into this one. Um, I think it's it's um, Arkansas or or nothing else for me right now. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I mean, it's uh, it's they're just such a good team, ultimately, and you know everyone has flaws, and Arkansas has some flaws too. But like they're just they're such a good team. The only thing that I could think of to say that like this isn't who you would want to take is that the number one seed doesn't win these things ever, but like, I, you know, at some point that, that drought is going to end and a one seed will win. And, you know, it, it may as well be this year. It may as well be this year. All right. So we, uh, we've got a lot of baseball to watch ahead of us. Uh, and so we, uh, we're, we're going to leave you there. We'll be back here next week to talk about all the goings on around the country with the regionals, hopefully it's a it's a great weekend of baseball. Minimal rain, hopefully just maximum sun and uh, maximum fun as as the NCAA tournament returns uh, after a two year absence. So we're we're excited about that. You can read all about it over at baseballamerica.com. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. And make sure you're subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us and hit that subscribe button. And we'll be back in your phones next week with a new edition of the Baseball America college podcast presented by Rapsodo. So thank you all for listening. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.